About 20 years ago, I was on a missions trip in a city called Cascavel, Brazil. Uh, and we were doing, a, in addition to some ministry stuff, we were also doing a construction project. And believe it or not, I was on the construction team, which is a scary, scary thing to think about. Anyway, I'm all up on a scaffolding, uh, kind of a handmade crank type thing. And, um, and uh, I, we're putting on like a stucco sort of product onto the side of a church building. And I think in Portuguese, they call that chapisca. Don't quote me on that. But, but I kept, I, I had, there was like several layers to this, several levels to the, um, to the scaffolding. And I kept slinging on this trowel. I'd get the cement sort of mix on this trowel and then sling it onto the side of the building. And it, it was just flinging everywhere. It was just going everywhere. In fact, it was landing on people in the levels below on the scaffolding. And they were complaining about this crazy Americans up there. And what are they doing? So finally, a Brazilian had mercy on my soul and on himself came up there and he said, could you use some help? And I said, probably it looks like it, doesn't it? And he said, I'll tell you what, look, show me how you're doing it. And I scooped up this concrete mix and I sling it onto the side of the building and it all went spraying everywhere. He says, Here, here's, the, here's the difference, he, he told me. I want you, instead of concentrate and instead of concentrating on the end of the trowel where you're kind of propelling it forward yourself, I want you to think about, just focus on the middle of the trowel like it's in your hand, and all you're doing is just letting go of it. All you're doing is just letting go of it. And I said, okay, so I concentrate on the middle of the trowel, and I just let go of it. And it was like magic. Amazingly, I became this expert at this stucco job, and it went perfectly, and the rest of it was just fun and joyful and uh, I was contented and satisfied with the finished product, and they were too, and they were sure happy about not getting showered on by this cement stucco mix down below. Um, it was just exhausting. But when I learned the secret of just taking it and just kind of letting it go, it was just this transformative experience. A lot of us are feeling in our lives exhaustion from time to time. We, we kind of are disappointed, we're trying really hard, we're going really hard, but we're kind of worn out. We're kind of disappointed perhaps, frustrated, and we'd love to get to that point of contentment and the satisfaction and, and more joy and, and more rest, but we, we have some issues with getting there. And I want to take you to Proverbs 23 and then some parallel passages after that to talk about how to move from exhaustion to abundance. It requires a shift in mind, a shift in the way we're thinking about things. Uh, I was reading uh, in a book by Dale Burke, pastor from California and friend, and uh, he talked about how we're just feeling busy, buried, and behind. We even say sometimes, I need a vacation from my vacation. Maybe you're feeling that this summer. Um, we're just feeling kind of like we're stuck, we're overwhelmed, we're kind of captive to this, this uh, gerbil hamster wheel that we're on. And he, he told the story. He says, a Tacoma, Washington newspaper featured the story of Tattoo, the Basset Hound. Tattoo hadn't planned on going on an evening run, but when his owner shut the dog's leash in the car door and took off for a drive with Tattoo still outside the vehicle, the dog had no choice. 
Fortunately, a motorcycle, a police officer noticed a passing vehicle with some something behind being pulled along. It was the Bassadown. Fortunately, they were going slow. His short, stocky legs as fast as he possibly could. The officer chased the car down to stop. Rescue, a tattoo was rescued and survived, but not before he had reached like you know, 20 miles an hour uh, and he had rolled over several times, but he was okay. He, Dale Burke writes, when I read that story, I thought to myself, that's what happens to us sometimes. Um, you feel as if someone has closed the car door on your leash and took off, not intending to drag you along. And all you can do is survive is to run as fast as your little basset hound legs can go. I love the story about Tattoo. I love the fact that he was a basset hound with short stubby legs and not a Great Dane. Can you picture his legs just churning furiously? He probably never run that fast before in his life, but he had no choice because he was running for his life. I can identify with him. We are like Tattoo on so many levels. Some, sometimes we feel like somebody else is holding the leash. Life is out of control. I'm just one small dog. The car is too big and too strong. Uh, it's run or be run over. Nobody asked me. Survival is the goal. The driver is clueless about my condition. And I feel like biting the guy behind the wheel. It feels like forces beyond our control have me on a leash. And if the demands of life, leadership, work, raising a family, just making life work, have grabbed me by the neck and are pulling me down the street, taking me for a ride, and it's just running as fast as I can to keep up. Well, there's a lot to that, but there are phrases in the scripture that describe our life in a different way, and about God's provision to us in abundance that will be, at one point he says, filled to overflowing, he says, we will have so much blessing that there will not be enough room for it. And in the New Testament, God writes, my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. There are many areas of life that we could talk about in this today. But today we're going to focus especially on a particularly, I think, American issue, though it's present in every culture. It's about our possessions. It's about what we're trying to achieve. It's about prosperity that we're chasing, money perspective on life, the things we passionately pursue. And today we're going to barely just scratch the surface. But from moving from exhaustion to abundance, there is one area that we will need to address to get from continual disappointment to consistent satisfaction. It requires a shift in mindset, priorities, and a shift in our actions and how we live our lives. Several areas will be addressed from Proverbs 23, but it'll focus all in on this moving from exhaustion to contentment to satisfaction. Proverbs chapter 23, verse 4 says it this way. Don't wear yourself out to get rich. Now this address, addresses this kind of materialistic, maybe even greed uh, motivation, but it really applies to a lot more areas of life. It's just that don't wear yourself out to get ahead, to be chasing better and better, bigger and faster. Don't wear yourself out for the things that won't last. He says, because you know better, Stop, pause, quit chasing, quit pursuing. As soon as your eyes fly to it, that is getting rich, it disappears for it makes wings for itself and it flies like an eagle to the sky. 
You know, he's talking here specifically of money, and that is a big area. And then one of the reasons why we go so hard, because we want to be successful. We want our kids to achieve things, and so we line them up in all these activities and so forth. And, and I'm, not, I'm not against all those things, but here is a little bit of wisdom. It's not, it's not chiding us. It's not lecturing us. It's advising us. It's a father to a son. Remember Proverbs? And it says, son, don't wear yourself out pursuing all that stuff. Here's the principle. Quit cheating yourself out of long-term satisfaction. He says, the money, the stuff, get rich. It, it's just like, as soon as you're set, your eyes, you finally get there, your eyes fix on it, and then it disappears. It flies off like an eagle to the sky. I think there's a reason for us, anyway, as believers, that our currency, American currency, has almost always an eagle on it. As Christians, to remind us that the, it just flies away, just takes wing and fly, and it's not lasting. So he's telling us it's not so much about, it's not so much about trying to get something from you. No, the goal is to do something for you, to help you experience true freedom and joy, contentment, and satisfaction in your life pursuits, to move from exhaustion to abundance. Quit cheating yourself out of long-term satisfaction by chasing this stuff that doesn't really last or satisfy ultimately. It just doesn't. We've covered this before in our study in Proverbs. And then he says this word, apply yourself to discipline and listen to words of knowledge. The principle is, is very simple here, but it's super important. Slow down and open yourself, open your heart, open your mind, open your soul to some new wisdom that's actually old wisdom. It goes way back. Apply yourself to discipline. Discipline is slowing down. It's being a disciple, being a learner. It's an applied course of understanding. You got to apply yourself to this. You got to slow down and say, I'm going to pause. I'm going to slow down enough to really learn something and listen to words of knowledge. Sometimes there's so much noise in the world that we have a hard time listening, slowing down long enough to listen to the wisdom of God, to the wisdom of the Lord who loves us, who's our father, who's talking to us. Some people, even in hearing this message, have this kind of visceral pushback on it. Like, I don't want to listen to this. And what I want to encourage you, just open your heart to this. Slow down and open yourself to some really old wisdom that might be new for us in our culture, in our way of thinking about things. The awesome Ruth, Steve, and myself have been, my wife and I have spent quite a bit of time um, in hospitals and waiting rooms and so forth. Um, and this past um, a Thursday, uh, we were there for a long day. Um, at the University of Iowa. Very grateful to the Lord for it, by the way. Um, and Ruth is doing great. But it was a long day. I think start to finish, getting to Iowa City, doing all the treatments and coming back was about 13 hours. And one of the things that's hard is that a hospital is not very quiet. <laughs> There's a lot going on. There's all what these be uh, beepers and, and bells ringing, people milling about everywhere. You, you go to the waiting room and people are, conversations are going on. People are coming and going, yelling out the next patient's names. And one of the secrets that I've learned um, is very, very simple. And that is bring earplugs. 
and not just any earplugs, but Max earplugs, which are soft and very, very effective. And I put those things in and it just completely silences everything. I know there's ear canceling headphones and all that kind of stuff, but usually, and that's great too, but I, I actually prefer the earplugs. And what happens is I can just more or less just shut everything out. All the noise. And I can open up my Bible. I can open up a book. And even mentally, it just slows me down and takes away some of the anxiety. It's just quiet. Solitude, silence. We need that, don't we? And it's also not just silence, but open heart and saying, I'm willing to learn from you, God. It really takes a lot of humility to do that. Because we and I, I've been living my life a certain way. And it's just really saying, okay, I'm willing to listen. And that's really super important in the whole scriptures. I'm willing to slow down and listen to this new to me, but old to God wisdom. And here's what he says to us. Next verse, I'm going to look at Proverbs 23, 17. Don't let your heart envy sinners. Instead, always fear the Lord. So what, he's gonna, what we're going to learn here is, we're gonna, here's the principle, we're going to exchange in our own hearts the passion and pursuit of short-term gratification and instead exchange for a passion for an all-in faith in God. 100% all-in. No hesitation. You said it, I'm doing it. You advise me, that's the way I'm going. The word here, don't let your heart envy. The word here is jealous or whatever. And it actually just means like red hot passion. And depending on the context can either be negative or positive. Now in, in the first half of the verse, envy sinners, it's this negative, I'm jealous, they're getting ahead, they're making progress. And let's be honest, we sometimes... What if my life, were, my life were more like his or hers? I had more money. I had more stuff. I, I, I didn't, I gave into that temptation. I just pursued that lust. I just pursued that greed. I just pursued that anger, whatever it is. And I just, I just wish I could do it their way. And we begin to get this, this unsettled disappointment, discontentment in our souls. And he says, don't let your heart do that. That's destructive. That's toxic to you. It's just getting you all worked up for something that won't satisfy you. It'll only disappoint. Instead, he says, and they don't even repeat the verb envy, but it's, just, it's implied. Instead of envying sinners, being all fired up for sinners and their ways, be always all fired up for the fear of the Lord. Remember what we said fear of the Lord is? Is respecting God enough to consistently say yes to him. Respecting God enough to consistently say yes to him. Fear for every area of respect. That's fear of the Lord. He says, I'm all in. And I love how in the original language, the Hebrew language, it says, fear the Lord all the days. All the days. Every day, all day, all in. That's what it's talking about here. So it's exchanging the passion for short-term gratification, which oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes is driving this exhaustion. It's like, I've got to keep up with the whoever's. I've got to keep doing this. 
And, and there's a lot of cultural pressures to do that. I get it. I, I've experienced it myself many, many times, and you have too. But sometimes we have to just yank the cord out on that and say, nope, I'm going to pull the cord on that. Instead, I choose to exchange that kind of passion for everything that my culture says is super important and say, instead, I'm going to be passionate for everything God says is super important. That's big, 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 big mindset change. And in order to do that, we're going to have to do what I call choose the big three of faith every day. The choose the big three of faith every day. Now, guys, when I say that, I'm going to go back in, um, in, our, in our study of the book of Proverbs and, and kind of recap some of the ones that we've talked about. So there are th- the big three of faith, the big three of the book of Proverbs, the fear of the Lord, taking God seriously by consistently saying yes to him, requires three um, kind of overlapping qualities in us, all right? The first one, I'm going to just call it, uh, you can write it in if you want, in, is humility. Okay, humility. Okay, there we go. Okay, humility. The second is integrity, and the third is generosity. All three of these must be a part of our faith every day to be all in in pursuing God and pursuing the fear of the Lord. And they're repeated over and over again throughout the 31 chapters of Proverbs. Humility, integrity, generosity. Let me just go over those three. Let me just remind you of those three, where we've been, okay? So here we go. Uh, Remember back to Proverbs 3. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not rely on your own understanding. Now we're getting a humility. It's like, I'm I'm not going to trust in what I think. In all your ways, know him and he will make your own paths. Do not rely on your own understanding. That takes humility. It takes humility for us to come to faith in Jesus and say, I can't save myself. I can't earn my salvation. It's not going to be the works of righteousness that I do. It's what Jesus did on the cross for me. And we have to humble ourselves, admit ourselves, admit our weakness, admit our shortcoming, admit our sin, and trust fully. Not leaning on our own understanding, not leaning on our own righteousness, but leaning on what God has done for us. And then it continues. That's the beginning of the Christian life, but then it continues throughout all of life. That cross, repentance, faith, is, is just continues over and over and over again. It never ends. We always have to come back to that trust in the Lord with all your heart, not just for salvation, but for every single thing in my life, every single day, all in faith. The big three, humility. In all your ways, know him, and he'll make your path straight. Now here it's leaning into the integrity area. It's like know him, follow him, acknowledge him, submit to him in all of your ways, have that integrity of life. What integrity means is integration. So that means I take my faith and there's no area of my life that my faith is not integrated where my faith in Jesus becomes integrated into that. It's all integrated. It has integrity. It's not one thing I live this way on Sundays and then Monday through Saturday a different way. No, it's integrated. It has integrity. And when we do that, when we say, I want my whole life to be belong to you, know everything in my entire life, he says, then you're going to make your, he's made your path straight. What does that mean? You move from exhaustion to abundance. You move from trying to do it your own to seeing God open ways and doors and pathways that are unknown to you. 
So when we read that, when we initially read that, humility, integrity, we're like, yeah, I'm all in. I'm fired up. I'm ready to dive in. I, I said, and then God asked me to forgive somebody. It's like, uh, maybe not. Then God asked us to share our faith, and we're like, wow, I'm scared. Then God asks us, invites us to risk being rejected for our faith, and we're like, oh, boy, I don't know if I'm going to do that. And he says, don't trust in your own understanding. Don't rely on it. Don't lean on it. Suddenly it's not so easy, and we hesitate, and we say, but what if? What if this happens, or what if this has to end? He says, trust me. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And then he says, don't be wise in your own eyes. Again, humility. He says, don't trust your gut. Your gut might be right, but it could be wrong. A lot of times it is. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Don't think you know it all. Instead, fear the Lord. What does that mean? Respecting God enough to consistently say yes to him. Turn away from evil. This is the integrity piece. So there's humility. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Integrity. Move away from anything that is not good, that's not godly. Turn away from evil. This will be healing for your body and strengthening for your bones. You're going to move from exhaustion to abundance. And this is not some weird, creaky, wacky prosperity theology. It just means, generally speaking, you're going to have a lot better go of it if you pursue this. So we've had this humility, the big three, humility, integrity, and you're saying, wow, and we trust him. And so we do. He says, trust me, trust me, and we do. And God comes through again and again and again. And previous generations of Christians lived out this passage. They woke up in the morning and said, Lord, this day belongs to you. I don't trust my own instincts. I need you to guide my attitude and outlook. And you say, yes, so far so good. I'm with you. Sounds great. Beautiful. Sharp insights, pastor. That's cool. These are verses for the refrigerator mirror. Go for it, pastor. I'm with you. That's amazing. Preach it. Okay. That's two of the first three. Humility, integrity. But this is the third. Now we're going to get practical. Everything so far has been a little subjective, a little touchy-feely. Humility, integrity, you know what? Now we get to the real stuff. Here's where it touches real life. This is objective. This is where God asks you, do you really believe this stuff? And he says in verse 9 and 10, honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of your entire harvest. Then your barns will be completely filled and your vats will overflow with new wine. So what God says here is, you want to move from exhaustion to abundance, from continual dissatisfaction to consistent, uh, uh, consistent satisfaction. He says, here's what you do. You take the very first portion of your income, then your brake lights go on. Hang on a minute. The reason? The reason the brake lights go on, for most of us, it's not greed, it's, it's fear. Deep down, most Christ's followers want to give their first fruits to God. They want to honor God and make an impact. But what if I give away too much? What if I don't have enough to live on? What if there's a downturn? What if, what if, what if? And we're uncertain. And my job as a pastor is to encourage and equip followers of Jesus to grow in their faith. And I realize the fact, the fact that as a pastor, I, you may, I, I, that the fact that I am a pastor may cause you to question my motives. You, and you've had bad experiences in other places. I get it. Totally get it. That's why we, we, we don't even, we don't even, here we haven't passed a plate at Valley Church for what, three years? God wants to make certain that nothing will come between you and your Father, your Heavenly Father. 
And my deepest desire is for all of us to introduce you to a way of life that is built on the promise that God is a rewarder of those who seek him and his kingdom first. And as a good and perfect father, he wants me and you to learn to trust him. And he gets very, very practical about it. So he asks you to honor him, your father who provides everything with the first fruits of your income, knowing that one, everything I have is from God. And two, God wants me to keep in touch with the source of every good thing I have, the Father has provided all that I have. Every gift is from his hand. So instead of spending every last time on myself, my things, my needs, my wants, my desires, he asked me to first honor him first off, remember him the source of blessing, give thanks to him by returning the first fruits of it to him. Honor your Father. Honor your Father. When my kids were younger, I actually gave them money to buy me Christmas presents. What's with that? It's not because I need their Christmas presents. I can go out and buy them myself or do without them altogether. But I gave them the money because there's something that happens in that exchange that is not just a transaction, it's transformation. There's something that they learn when they return back to their father in love, something that they chose freely to do. It's amazing, but we hesitate sometimes. We're afraid. Look at it a different way. God, our father, owns it all. We are managers. We're not owners. Imagine that you manage someone else's money, which is what you do. And imagine what if they said to you, invest 10% for me and keep the remaining 90% for yourself. Why, you would be overwhelmed by, are you kidding me? Especially if the guy was pretty well off. There seems to me there are two types of people in this whole idea of givers. One person, one giver sees themselves as their own provider and gives leftovers the other sees God as a provider and generously gives first fruits. God says, trust me, watch me work, watch me open up the heavens and pour out upon you my grace and my goodness, my mercy and my compassion. I will be faithful to you. I won't let you down. I will always love you. I will always be faithful to you. I will always provide for my children. I remember our first church in Glenwood, Iowa. And I've told you about this. I mean, we were poor, poor, Yeah. But we laid aside those first fruits, and it was hard. You know, I've told you, you know, $700 a month was our entire, you know, that was our, my entire um, compensation package. And putting aside $70 out of $700 just seemed impossible. By the way, nobody can afford to set aside a tenth. I mean, if you're making $20,000 a year, you know, how can you live on $18,000 a year? And if you're making $200,000 a year, we can't just give away $20,000. That's how we think. Even though we're probably the most prosperous nation on earth, Americans on average give about 2% of their income to charity, much less setting aside the first fruits and giving that to the eternal institution that God has created, the church. You know, I've been here at Valley Church since 1990. And I will tell you honestly, I've never had a single person come to me and said, you know, we gave our first fruits to the Lord. It just didn't work out. We're, he, he just didn't come through for us. He just, you know, we, we did that and he just, we just failed miserably. That's since 1990. Not a single person has ever said that to me. Instead, what I've heard instead is the people who've actually done this, they say, God bless me greatly, spiritually, emotionally, relationally, sometimes even financially. And so many have experienced that blessing at Valley Church. Maybe you're one of them. I hope 
I see it all the time, the generosity and their hearts. People are generous, their hearts are so full and God takes care of them because he knows I can trust you. You'll honor me with the first fruits and I can trust you and give you more. And he wants more and more like that. How about you? Are you ready to take that refrigerator verse, trust the Lord with all your heart in verse five and six and make it real? Honor the Lord with their first fruits. Put it into action. Your barns will be completely filled. Your vats will overflow with new wine. It, these are metaphors. It's not, you know, this is not some promise that you're gonna get, you know, filthy rich off this. It's just like God is gonna move you from exhaustion and disappointment to abundance and contentment in your life. You may say that won't work. God says, trust me, trust me first, put me first. We talk about this in our life groups sometimes and we do it over and over again. People in our life group have, have shared their own stories of how God has richly blessed them, not just financially, even primarily, but just richly bless them. So we get to the big three of faith every day. Humility, integrity, generosity, generosity. Often that's the missing ingredient. Proverbs again, verse 24. One person gives freely, yet gains more. Another withholds what is right, only to become poor. And what God is saying is, take what you have and let it go. Let it go. A lot of people's mentality here um, withholds what is right and only to become poor. Um, this verse reminds me a, a little bit of Chuck E. Cheese. What the world offers to us is, you know, pursue me, do this, and you'll just have incredible contentment. And people never do, like Chuck E. Cheese. You spend a fortune playing those little games they have, and then they give you like 10,000 little tickets. But then when you go to actually redeem them, they're worth, worth almost nothing. You get like a stamp or a tattoo or something. It's, it's the paradox of generosity. It's embracing God's math, which is the opposite of our math. We think if I give something away, I'll have less. God says, actually, you give this to me and you'll actually have more. I can do more with to bless your 90% than you can keeping all of it for yourself. So much of our discontentment is a result of pursuing things that never can give contentment. It's a losing battle. We're wearing ourselves out. It can't possibly work. And so sometimes we become control freaks. We become control freaks in dating, in parenting, in work. And I think that by controlling everything and everyone, they'll get what they want and be happy. Instead, they lose friends, they lose favor, no one likes them, and they're unhappy because they want to control everything. It's like this chase that we have. It's like the dog chasing his tail. It's fun for a while, but after a few minutes, it gets really tiring and frustrating because you never can catch it. No matter how hard you try, you're never going. he's never going to catch that tail. And if we are ever going to experience lasting joy and contentment, our hearts are going to have to be in the right place and they're going to have to be rewired, slow down enough to hear a new old wisdom to be in the right place. You're gonna to have to be rewired to pursue those things that actually do offer lasting joy and contentment. Verse 25, a generous person will be enriched. A generous person will prosper, says another verse. The one who gives a drink of water will receive water. Uh, the one who refreshes others, it says, will himself be refreshed. Jesus taught the same thing, by the way. It's not just in Proverbs, Jesus taught it. He says, give and it will be given to you a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Jesus encourages all of us to be open-handed, grace-filled, generous givers to people around us. Sometimes people limit that verse to finances, but it definitely includes that, but it's much, much more. 
You want to experience the presence of God in the company of friends around you, your neighbors. You want to experience the tremendous favor of God in your life. He says, you want the wind at your back, the grace of God oiling all your friendships, his generosity poured out on you. He says, become one who gives. It's the difference between having this and having this. And this is the one that God blesses. And that's what friends do for one another. Friends don't love us because we're perfect. Friends love us in spite of our faults. That's what a real friend. So what do you say? Let's be a church that's just overflowing with that sort of giving generosity mentality. You know, it was a few years back, I was at a place, a restaurant, and I wanted a free refill on my pop. It was a, I don't know, I can't remember where it was. And I went up, they didn't actually have the, the, uh, the machines out in the in the lobby, like most fast food places do, said, and guess what they said? That you said, yeah, you can get a refill. It's twenty five cents. What? Twenty five cents? No free refills? Let me ask you a question: Are you a free refill kind of person, or are you charging people for your niceness and kindness? Do they have to earn your approval and acceptance? Here's the amazing thing: God promises that when we become free refill givers. He personally pours on the blessing onto our lives. This is what Jesus said. Given it will be given to you, overflowing. It's not karma. Karma is an impersonal concept. It's a, it's, instead, it is a personal God who sees your life and who honors obedience and kindness and forgiveness and open-heartedness and generosity. He loves to encourage his kids. And get this, simple but life-changing concept. Living big for God and dying rich in him doesn't start with money, but with the heart. It's a mindset, it's a demeanor, but it overflows in all areas of life. It's the attitude toward others and toward God that is giving and big hearted. You know, our friend Tim Tebow, he said it this way, true success is not measured in physical possessions, but in the amount of lives that you change. That's why Jesus said, give and it will be given to you pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Your life is like a basket. Do you want an empty basket or do you want an overflowing basket? When you come to the end of your days, don't you want to be able to see that you lived big? You weren't small-minded or petty, but rather open-handed. And because of that, you die as a rich person, rich in relationships, rich in impact. You want to experience a tremendous favor of God in your life, his winning your back, then become that generous person. Two examples of this from culture, I guess. It's the first I want to mention, the bad example, is Cracker Jacks. And I love Cracker Jacks. I'm not against it. But, you know, in the old days when I was a kid, you know, Cracker Jacks, they had a toy surprise inside, and they were big deals. You open it up, and it's like, you know, they had like, you know, you know little, little toys in there, you know, transistor radios, baseball gloves, whatever. Okay, now it's like this peel-off tattoo. It's, the toy is so cheap. It, it's promise used a lot, but it's, it's not really there. Another, the other end of the spectrum is the Iowa machine shed, which when you order a cinnamon roll, it's not this little cinnamon roll. It's like this cinnamon roll. It's like a meal for four people on the plate. That's what I'm talking about. Which are you? The Cracker Jack box, half filled with air and little tiny tattoo toy inside or the big cinnamon uh, roll at the machine shed. 
be generous, forgive freely, give people the benefit of the doubt, don't harp on their faults, give them a break, let it go, compliment them, encourage them, bless them, give freely to other people, be generous with your time, your stuff, your money and your resources, do it. And then Proverbs, back to Proverbs chapter um, 23. For then you will have a future. Oh, it's bright for you. You got to wear shades. Your future is so bright. And your hope will not be dashed. You won't be disappointed because you will have moved from exhaustion to abundance. Your hope will not be dashed. Here's the principle. You will experience God's stunning and reliable, you can count on it, future favor. At one, there once was a Jewish rabbi who had such amazing wisdom, and he echoed these very same thoughts from Proverbs 23. His teaching completely aligned and echoed and then deepened and transformed it. We're learning how we can invest our lives in others, in our time, our resources, our money, our hearts to make a lasting impact. You can make investments of yourself that you'll never regret and that are guaranteed to pay off in lasting ways for you. They are risk-free, the interest is guaranteed, and they yield dividends forever. To make and experience freedom, contentment, and joy and satisfaction, you have to make the right investments. Jesus said it this way, that Jewish rabbi, don't store up for yourselves treasures here on earth where moths and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Instead, store up yourselves, store yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. What Jesus is doing, he's not lecturing us, he's just coaching us. He says we have to be careful of becoming tied tying our self-worth to our net worth. We fall into the consumption assumption of thinking, if I just stockpile and accumulate more and more and have more, not just stuff, but uh, successes and achievements and all this kind of stuff in this life, if I have more, if I have more stuff, then I'm supposed to spend more stuff on myself. Stockpiling, accumulating it for myself. We have to be on our guard so that slowly we don't allow our hope to migrate from trusting in the God who is our provider to trusting in the riches that God provides. And what we have to say to ourselves is, I will not trust in riches, but in him who richly provides. I will believe that God does want me to enjoy my life. He says this clearly. Uh, he wants us to enjoy his blessings in life. But he also says, it's not what I have, but what I do with what I have that really makes the difference. Jesus has this incredibly wise counsel for us in this little passage of scripture. And he says, rewire your heart. He says, I, you, we want temporary things, short-lived fixes, storing up treasures here and now, pursuing stuff that the culture says is super important. And he says, be careful about that. Aggressively pursue as much treasure as you possibly can, but make sure it's in the right place. The Bible assumes God's going to provide food, shelter, clothing, and even some many, many extra gifts from his hand. There were poor Christians in the first century. There were wealthy Christians in the first century who met, they met in their homes. And does, God does not begrudge your enjoyment of those things, but it can get out of control. He says, don't store it up. Avoid the constant accumulation of more earthly stuff because moth and rust destroy. Nature will defeat you here. This stuff deteriorates and depreciates quickly in value. 
Buy a new car, drive it for a week, then try to resell it to the dealer at the same price. Computers, they're obsolete almost as soon as they come out of the box. And so many times we have so much, but we're so unhappy. And then if nature doesn't get it, people will. Thieves break in and steal. The stuff is vulnerable to theft and loss. And the minute you buy it, you worry about it, you have to insure it to protect it, you're concerned about the loss of it. So he says, keep your earthly treasure simple. Otherwise, you're setting yourself up for disappointment. Don't stockpile and accumulate just for you. There's no way this stuff can deliver to you the joy and contentment it promises. It's the possession obsession. A little bit, then just a little bit more, then I get the bug, the infection spread, and pretty soon it spread to our whole bodies. And worst of all, it hits our hearts. It destroys our joy and contentment. It ruins marriages and families and relationships. Money can't buy happiness. If that were true, that money can buy happiness, then Americans would be the happiest, most contented people on the face of the earth, and we certainly are not. Jesus is not scolding us here that it's so evil for you to do this. Rather, he's advising you, don't do it. Don't be fooled. It's a shell game. These earthly treasures will promise you joy and contentment, but they can never deliver it to you. So be careful and watch your heart, guard your heart against them. These things can't possibly give you lasting satisfaction. Instead, stockpile something else. Store up for yourselves true wealth, treasures in heaven. The only word difference in what Jesus says, go back to it. The only word difference is what the location. One is on earth, the other is in heaven. Wealth is worth pursuing if it's the right kind of wealth. Looking for profits is okay, but look to the right place at the right time. Um, we often make choices that seem reasonable to us, but they lack eternal wisdom. I saw business car um, with this slogan, think beyond tomorrow. And that's really what Jesus is saying here. Build up your net worth in heaven. First come to Jesus in faith and exchange your righteousness and gain his righteousness. Then begin stockpiling treasures in heaven. That's the only treasure that's going to last. Put your valuables, store up your treasures in a safe place because the chances of you dying are about 100%. Make good chances about the kind of treasures, riches you're going to pursue and stockpile. This is about the everyday stuff of life. It's about our homes, our joys, our money, our church, all these things. Think beyond tomorrow. Think eternity. Invest in whatever will last forever. Like Proverbs said, you will not be disappointed. You are compounding interest. Invest a little day by day. You know this financially. In 30 years, wow, you'll be happy you did. It's about compounding your joy, he's saying. Experience this, you've got to believe in the heaven. To experience this, so you've got to believe in this heaven thing. If, um, you know, it, 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 when I die and I go to heaven through the merits of Christ alone, I'll have lived here however many years, 80, 90, who knows, maybe less. And after a trillion, billion, million years, I'll still be in heaven. So instead of using all my resources for the here and now, I concentrate on what will matter on the then and there. I delay my gratification, short-term gratification, and I exchange it for something that's long-term, that I can enjoy literally forever. The only safe place is heaven, because you can't take it with you. But you can send it on ahead. So he says, aggressively pursue true wealth. God will reward you. And your decisions here about what you pursue and how you spend your time and how you spend your resources will have eternal differences. 
a lot of people pour tremendous amounts of money into their homes. Why? Well, you live there. You spend a lot of time there, and they view it as a good investment. Okay. Jesus says, do that, but pour it into your real home, where you're going to live for a very, 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 very long time. Because he says, for where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. It shows something about you, and it also drives something about you. When you invest in a stock, for example, you don't, you don't check other stocks, but you check that stock because you put something there and you want to see how it's doing. And when you invest in the kingdom of Jesus and you say, that's what I want. I, that's what I, want. I, want to, I want to serve. I want to love. I want to give. Because you invest there, then you're, you're interested in it. Your heart naturally goes there and you become this different person because you have exchanged short-term gratification for long-term satisfaction. Where our treasure is, your heart is also. Our hearts follow our treasure. So what's my end game? Invest, stockpile treasures in heaven, and your heart will follow you there. Invest time in personal worship and in times the family of God here at Valley Church. Choose character, integrity, and humility over temporary earthly gain and temptations. Don't pass up opportunities to be a real follower of Jesus to save, a, cut a few corners, ethically or financially. Express compassion toward those in need. Make sacrifices now for kingdom advancement by giving God your first fruits and by investing in the kingdom of Jesus. And you will move from exhaustion to contentment. I close with these words. So don't worry about these things. What will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? Jesus said, these things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. They're all concerned about getting ahead. But your heavenly father already knows all your needs. Your father knows what you need. He loves you. Instead, he says, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously. Humility, integrity, generosity. And he will give you everything you need. What a promise from Jesus. And then, just in case we start getting anxious and exhausted, he says, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. Just follow me. Trust me. I learned something there that day, 20 years on a scaffolding, is that when I'm flinging and working just all on my own, I'm just wearing myself out and not doing anybody else any good either. But when I just say, okay, I'm just going to concentrate here and I'm going to give my life away, give it away for God. He honors that and he rewards it. Father in heaven, thank you that you have some incredible wisdom here in the book of Proverbs and in the gospel of Jesus for us to learn today. Help us to take all these things to heart. Show us, oh God, where you want us to move in our hearts and uh, help us to experience your full measure of abundance and blessing because you love us. You're a father. You know what's best. Help us to trust your love enough and seriously, take you seriously to consistently say yes to you. And everybody agreed and said amen. God bless you guys and have a great week.